Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Cleveland Guardians 4, the Minnesota Twins 3. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And we did it! We did it! We, we beat the Twins. We won a game. We hit a home run. How about that? We snapped like a five-game streak of a homerless streak. Uh, and finally put one out. And uh, it turns out to be the difference in the game. Isn't that interesting? We will dive into that. Um, we'll talk about Logan Allen and uh, his continued success at the major league level. We got a great email from Greg. But before we get into that, you know, we got to follow up on yesterday and Terry Francona's comments because, uh, again, to remind you, if you didn't listen to yesterday's episode, Francona and Mandy Bell had this in her post-game article. He said, as far as our position players go, they're here, Francona said. And sometimes, if you're supposed to be patient, or if you need to be patient, you better be patient or you're going to mess up. If we thought we had something better to serve our team, we would do it. A little joke about meals. Uh, again, we've called up a lot of young guys. We're not just going to keep calling up guys. These are our guys. We've got to run them out there. And remember we said, okay, this is the manager's comments. This is not the general manager or the president's comments. This is the manager sticking by his players. Well, it turns out that the general manager and the man and the president had different ideas because they immediately send down Oscar Gonzalez and they recall Tyler Freeman, who's been, you know, lighting it up in AAA. So it changes a lot of things at the major league level because it means that experiment of Gabriel Arias and Tyler Freeman taking fly balls in the outfield, in the corner outfield spots, is going to be put to the test now. And we get it in this game with Gabriel Arias starting in right field. So uh, I know, uh, you know, Tyler Freeman didn't immediately go into the starting lineup. I would expect him to be in there today on the Sunday finale. Right? Somebody's going to get a day off, right? And Ramirez is going to get to DH or something like that. I kind of expect Freeman to be in there. Uh, we also, we have like, we have a completely different bench now. Just to, just to remind you, we also have Fry up here on the bench. Uh, who's someone who's only gotten into a game to pinch hit. Uh, so we haven't really talked about it. But uh, he's there available on the bench. Uh, so we'll see if he gets any game action here. Uh, so it's a, it's starting to be a different bench. We're not carrying three catchers anymore, even though Fry is sort of the emergency catcher corner infield utility guy at this point, uh, here to supposedly hit left-handed pitching. Uh, although let's see, Ryan today for the twins is a righty. So I don't know if that'll be put to the test. Uh, so, yeah, so Brennan's going to get a lot more time out there in right field. Uh, but Gabriel Arias got the start in this one. The experiment gets started uh, in this one. So, before we get into the storylines of the game, uh, let, let, let's let let Greg kick us off with an email because he was at the game. Uh, his email title just Quan with an exclamation point. He said, hey, Davey, went to the game tonight with my May ballpark pass. Man, what a deal. Uh, if you don't know what Greg's talking about, they started something new where you can get a standing room only ticket to every home game for what is it like? It's under fifty bucks. It's probably like forty nine ninety nine or something like that, forty eight ninety five, something like that. 
For under 50 bucks, you can get a standing room ticket uh, to every home game for that month. And it's like a subscription thing, right? Just like your Netflix account. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Greg took advantage of it. I got to be honest with you, Greg. A younger version of me, a version not married with a kid, I probably would have taken advantage of this too. This sounds like 25-year-old Davey would have been all over this deal. So good job. Good for you, Greg. I'm glad you were able to make it work and you're able to get to these many games. So he went to the game. He said, wow, was that a fun one? Just that scrappy small ball we love to see, but then Quan. I guess he decided if no one else was going to do it, he would. Watched Logan Allen's debut at home, and tonight he looked great. Some hard hit balls, and he seemed to get tired, but still really sharp. Yeah, you know, Greg, something I was thinking about his last time out against Boston, he threw over 100 pitches. Uh, I actually have that game pulled up. He threw 104 pitches. So remember we talked about how, uh, you know, they weren't, they weren't, uh, even with the day off on Thursday, they still wanted to get a fifth starter in there. They didn't want to let that off day kind of, uh, change things. They wanted to give everybody an extra day of rest. That's why Benfield gets the start, uh, on Friday. They could have skipped them if they really wanted to, but they wanted to let uh, specifically Logan Allen have an extra day of rest. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not shocked that he tires in this game, right? Kind of flames out in the sixth inning at 92 pitches. Not shocked by that. Uh, let's see. Where do we leave off? Good to see 99 get a big out. He's talking about Karinchek there. Stefan worked well, but, man, my highlight was seeing Hench's back. He looked sharp, just like I remember. I know we didn't light up Sonny Gray, but we shook him up, and that had to make the guys happy and pumped. I think when a team is struggling, every win is important and exciting. Tonight was fun, and let's hope the momentum carries into tomorrow. Yeah, Greg, we're absolutely going to talk about Sam Hentges here. And you're right. uh, We didn't necessarily blow up Sonny Gray. Again, that monster hit in that big rally inning uh, in the fourth inning, you know, didn't really come, but we still put up a nice crooked number. A a three-run inning is still a nice crooked number against Sonny Gray. So, it's easily one of Sonny Gray's worst starts um, of the season. Uh, so he was dominant in April. And uh, you, sometimes that happens. Some, sometimes something about the calendar changing, right? Just for some reason seems to change the momentum of a player sometimes. So he's absolutely killing it in April. 4-0, a 0.77 ERA coming into this game. A 1.06 whip. Uh, coming in, so pretty dominant, 41 strikeouts to 12 walks, Uh, he had never given up more than one run in a game this season, earned or unearned, just one run given up uh, against Houston, one against the Red Sox, one against the Kansas City Royals, actually had shutouts against uh, Kansas City to start the season, against the Chicago White Sox, man, he pitched a lot in April, and uh, then again against... um, Against the New York Yankees. Against the New York Yankees. So, uh, yeah. We put up three on him. And uh, it's, it's a big deal. It's a big dent. Uh, it, you know, moves his ERA almost 60, uh, well, 60 tenths of a point. So, up to 1.35 ERA now. But he's carrying a 540 ERA for the month of May. So, we're really screwing him up in the month of May here. So, yeah. It, it easily is Sonny Gray's worst start. Of the season so far. So a guy that was red, red hot in April is struggling now in May. Uh, Thanks to us. 
So, uh, yeah, Greg, thank you for the report from the ballpark. Always great to hear, especially when people get to go to the game, uh, hear their experience. Uh, did you? I'm curious, Greg, if you stayed in the standing room only seats. Because let me be honest with you. Again, that 25-year-old Davey who would take advantage of this deal for the standing room only tickets definitely would not stay in those standing room only tickets. I would be scouting the ballpark for those first two or three innings and then go sneaking down to some like, you know, third row, second row, see how close I can get to the field seats. So I'm curious, Greg, if you stayed uh, in those seats in those standing room only seats, or did you move around a little bit once you were in the ballpark? Uh, So yeah, I always love hearing about your ballpark experiences. Uh, You know, for those of you who didn't, don't get to go to progressive field very often, I mean, it. There's a lot. There's a lot to the experience, right? We have all these local restaurants in the uh, ballpark now, so that's another thing I look forward to going down there. Which which local restaurant am I gonna go check out? Am I gonna go hit up some Barrio, some Ohio City burritos, some Happy Dog? So uh, yeah, continue sharing, especially when you go to the game. Continue sharing your experiences with us. We love to hear about it. All right, let's get in. Let's get deeper in. I think we've. We've touched on some storylines of this game. Now let's dive in to the storylines of this game. And the top storyline has to be Stephen Kwan finally breaking that home run streak. The big go-ahead run in the seventh inning. And you know, this is one of those things we've talked about. Man, being able to put up, when you're the home team here, being able to respond when you give up a run in the seventh inning. And we do. We give up a run in the seventh uh, Trevor Steffen, unfortunately, gives up a solo home run to uh, to Carlos Correa, right? Their star hitter in the middle of their lineup. He gets a solo home run to tie the game in the seventh. The Twins feel like they just grabbed a big handful of momentum. And then Quan responds in the bottom of the seventh inning. And he does it with two outs, too. So, you know, we're not, not necessarily feeling the vibes as Cleveland fans right now. Uh, the offense had gone cold after that, you know, that big inning, that big fourth, uh, fourth inning where they score three runs. They get them shut down one, two, three in the uh, fifth. They get shut down one, two, three in the sixth. The bottom of the order goes one, two to start the seventh, and that brings up Stephen Kwan. So it's an interesting matchup here. And what I'll tell you, if you didn't hear the, uh, first let's talk about Trevor Steffen versus Carlos Correa. It's not a terrible pitch. It's not a terrible pitch. They starts him off with a slider, uh, righty on righty here. Starts him off with a slider at the knees, at the thighs for a called strike. All right, nice pitch. He's probably sitting fastball. Throws him a high and tight fastball that he fouls off. Comes back now on an 0-2 count and throws a splitter at the knees. It just, ooh, just a little bit under the strike zone. A real tough take. I mean, that's a take where Correa even has to take a step back and go, I can't believe I didn't swing at that one. And then he comes back up and in with a four-seam fastball. Now, normally, I would say, love this combination, right? Some off-speed stuff, some slower stuff, down at the knees, high fastballs, up and in, just challenging that righty up and in. Well, he challenged him and he lost. Uh... 94.1 94.1 mile power fastball up and in at the top of the zone. He turns on it. 105.7 mile per hour exit velocity, 24 degree launch angle, 407 feet out in the left field. He almost looked back at the dugout like I told you. Like I told, I don't know if it was I told you I was going to hit a home run and tie this thing up 
or I told you Stefan loves throwing me high and tight fastballs. I I don't know their history together. I bet if I dug deep enough in the stat cast, I could find it, but I don't know their history together. But he swung at both high and tight fastballs, which leads me to believe that something in the scouting report told him that Trevor Stefan is going to challenge you up and in with fastballs. And Correa was ready on it. He fouled off the first one. He jumps on the second one. Uh, so, yeah, so despite a good combination here going high-low, uh, it doesn't work out for Trevor Steffen. Interesting to see if it's a different approach. If Steffen gets to face him one more time in this finale, uh, are we going to see high and tight fastballs? Or maybe is he going to go down and in with the fastballs? I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Or just throw all splitters to him. It'll be interesting to see. But, anyways, they tie the game up. And now Jorge Alcala is facing Steven Kwan. And... Uh, this is an interesting combination. And what I could tell you, Quan said post-game to Andre Knott, he said, you know, I, he's taking a page from Jose Ramirez where he's he's hunting fastball. He's sitting fastball and then, you know, handles anything else that comes his way. That explains a lot in this at-bat right here. Starts him off with a slider away, leaves it away uh, for ball one. Uh, comes back with a uh, four-seam fastball, middle of the plate, middle-middle, that he fouls off. And it feels like Quan is fouling a lot of balls off to the away side and then pulling a lot of ground balls to first base. It just, just from, from what I was watching today, it just feels like that's where the bat is going. When he tries to go away, eh, it's fouling things off. And then when he pulls it, he's just kind of hitting grounders to the right side. So... He fouls off a four-seam fastball here. Throws him another fastball high in a way that he lays off. He's in a nice count, 2-1. Comes back with a slider this time. I wish I could tell you where the catcher was set up, but this slider comes right back middle-middle. It's right where he fouled off that four-seam fastball. So it's a location he's already seen in this at-bat. Now, what did I tell you? He's hunting fastballs, and he gets a slider here, something a little slower, something with a little bit of... You know, that's up a little bit uh, with it, that he can get underneath and loft a little bit. So what does he do? He's hunting a fastball. It speeds up his bat. And he ends up actually launching this thing. 100.7 mile per hour exit velocity, 26 degree launch angle, 402 feet to right center field. Uh, going back to the scoreboard here, I had a 620 expected batting average. Would have been a home run in 22 out of 30 ballparks. So a pretty solid home run here from Stephen Kwan. He jumped on it. He absolutely jumped on this slider. So, uh, you know, being aggressive towards those fastballs and getting one in the exact same zone that kind of came sweeping into the barrel of his bat. And he is able to absolutely launch it right there. Last year, I looked it up, uh, his spray chart last year, he did not hit a home run to right center field. Everything last year was pulled down the right field line. Everything. All, all of his home runs last year were pulled down the right field line. I didn't hit many. It's a small sample size. I'm sure if we see his spray charts from AAA and AA, there probably is a home run to right center field. But he hadn't done it yet at the major league level. So it's a pretty true home run swing right there. It's not someone hitting a laser down the right field line that just carries over the fence. And this is a pretty true home run swing here from Stephen Kwan. So it'll be interesting to see... Not if he becomes a prolific power hitter. In fact, literally got into an argument on Twitter about this 
yesterday morning. If you follow me on Twitter, you could see that I was going back and forth with one of the uh, more sarcastic Guardians accounts, which I appreciate them. They they have a job to do out there. They make funny jokes sometimes. And uh, we were going back and forth about this because I, I don't need Stephen Kwan to be a big power hitter. But man, when it happens, it sure is nice, isn't it? I'll take it. I ain't going to turn it away. So, uh, yeah, so we'll see if he continues to go out to right center field. He did have a triple last year out there in right center field. So I'm guessing he hit one maybe high off a wall. That took a nice bounce for him. But uh, no home runs out there. And this this is his first, looking at his spray chart from this year, I, I think this is kind of his first one that he's really put, like, off even off the fence. His spray chart uh, is is pretty shallow let's say, to so far to start the 2023 season. There's not one ball hit off a fence anywhere. There's not one hit deep into a gap anywhere. I mean, everything had been kind of singles underneath up until this point. A couple of doubles down the line, maybe. Uh, but yeah, this is the first one he he goes for the wall, basically, uh, so far this season. So, a huge home run, and we're able to hang on to the lead. Uh, Stefan stays in to face one more batter in the eighth, and then Sam Henches does come in. Big Sam Henches is back. Uh, by the way, Tim Heron, who went down, the lefty who went down, uh, I actually caught on Twitter, is doing very well uh, down at AAA. So I wouldn't be shocked if there's two lefties in this bullpen at some point in this season if Heron continues to pitch well down there. I know he'd struggled in his first taste of Major League action once he kind of settled in here. But Sam Hedges comes in, and we got to take a look at these at-bats because two big strikeouts from Sam Hedges here. First, Max Kepler, who had just hit the home run earlier off Logan Allen, and we'll talk about that at-bat. But uh, Kepler obviously feeling good, hitting in progressive field. And the lefty-on-lefty matchup, Hedges said, I knew he knew. Kepler was the only lefty in the starting lineup. He knew he was going to have to face him. And he challenged him with fastballs here. I challenged him more than I would like, frankly, with fastballs. Uh, kind of gives him one uh, up and away for a called strike uh, to start the at-bat. Then challenges him with two in a row that are middle in. Uh, I don't, again, can't see where the catcher was set up. But these get a lot more of the plate than uh, Hedges probably wanted. And luckily, Kepler fouls both of them off. A 96 and 95 mile per hour fastball, respectively. Then, okay, he's got to get him off the fastball, throws him a slider uh, down below the strike zone a little bit away. He lays off that, so it's a one and two count. And then he buries a sinker in, um, again, middle of the plate, but in off the plate, just off the black, and Kepler swings through it. Uh, Foul tip, technically, for strike three. Uh, We're able to hang on to it there. Uh, Zanino's able to hang on to it. So it's a I, I, it comes back to be a good pitch combination. It was a little fastball happy for me to start. He's lucky that Kepler fouls both of these off. Uh, gets him off speed, you know, get, changes his speed with the slider. Gets him looking at something different. And it comes back with a pitch that has a lot more movement. Uh, the horizontal break on that forcing fastball, 10 inches of break, 12 inches of break. The horizontal movement on that sinker gets you 17 inches of break. And it's spinning a different direction than the forcing fastball. Right, those it's those two seam sinkers tend to break in a little bit, break back towards that left handed hitter. So it works. It gets him to foul tip it, and he can't handle that hard sinker again. The velocity is there on it, ninety six point one. So it's moving. 
it's moving and it's got more horizontal break than that four seam fastball. So good pitch, good pitch from Hedges. Uh, so he strikes out Kepler there. Then he goes to battle with Willie Castro, a right-hander, and now he's throwing curveballs. Uh, drops a curveball at the knees, uh, swings over it for strike one. Tries to throw another one down and in at his feet that he lays off, so it's a 1-1 count. Misses away with a four-seam fastball, but keeping him off the curve at this point. He's down in the hole, 2-1. Comes back, drops a curveball on the outside edge. So gives him a different location for it, and he he uh, doesn't pull the trigger on it, and we're back to a 2-2 count. That's probably the pitch that Castro wants back. That that was his best chance of a hit right there. Uh, comes back with another curveball down and in below the knees that he fouls off. Comes back with a four-seam fastball out and away that he fouls off, so changing location again, only to come back to the curveball down and in, and this time he swings through it for strike three. So... Castro had some chances here. Uh, again, the curveball away that he takes, probably a chance for uh, a pitch to swing at. And then he fouls off the fastball uh, middle away, uh, right off the black. He probably wants that one back too. And eventually, so he's working them clearly two zones here. Clearly curveballs down and in, and then working away, middle away. So um, that's the mix from Sam Henches, and it works. He gets him to swing over that curveball eventually on a seven-pitch at-bat for strike three. So that had to felt great for Sam Henches to be back, to be uh, striking guys out, to have that much success, to go right into a high-leverage situation where he's protecting a lead in the eighth inning, setting things up for Emmanuel Classe, who comes in and uh, is pretty darn good. Gets a strike out of Joey Gallo, uh, gets a ground out from Gordon, and Buxton flies out to right to end things. So uh, it's a good job. Uh, Trevor Steffen gets the old uh, the old blown save win, a, a classic here on Cleveland Baseball Mornings. I just cracks me up every time I've seen it because uh, I'm sure the guy, uh, I'm sure Steffen probably like <laughs> feeling, I mean, you love winning, but the old blown save win, you got to be like, ah, this, I don't know if I really deserve a W for this one, but I guess, I guess somebody's got to take it, right? So it's probably a weird feeling to see that next year name. So, yeah, that's the end of the game. That's the big storylines at the end of the game. Now, what led up to that uh, was uh, Sonny Gray kind of kind of struggling, kind of really working through this one. Logan Allen, even though getting – it's interesting. Sonny Gray seems like he's working harder because of the three walks. Um, but he's only hard hit four times. Meanwhile, Logan Allen seems like he's cruising a little bit more, leaves with the lead, but he is hard hit 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 times. So uh, even though Logan Allen's stat line might look a little bit cleaner, uh, he's still hard hit a ton and needs the defense to pick him up a ton. He gives up seven hits here. Actually, going over to the Illustrator, I pulled up the, uh, the radio, which shows me the launch angle. And yeah, uh, Allen gave up a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of stuff in that kind of sweet spot plane where hitters want to attack, right? Uh, 13 degree launch angle, 14 degree launch angle singles. Uh, the home run from Kepler was a 22 degree launch angle. So uh, the only one that was surprising was the Jeffers uh, double. It was at a 39 degree launch angle. So it was really up there in the fifth inning. But if you remember, 
it was uh, it was down the right field line. Gabriel Arias had to run a long way. It's kind of his first challenge out there in right field. He had to run a long way, and he just couldn't. It was right near the foul line, and he just couldn't decelerate and track the ball at the same time. I mean, it's tough. When you're sprinting at full speed, uh, everything's kind of bouncing around, and you're trying to keep that ball in your vision, but you do have to have a moment, like a almost a zen-like moment, where you let everything slow down for a second so you can really lock in on that ball and uh, and squeeze it. And he just he can't do it. He can't do it. He can't squeeze it. It hits off the heel of his glove. I would imagine, I would imagine, if I were the outfield coach, right, I would have Gabriel Arias standing out there in right field, and I'd be launching balls towards that right field corner and just making them sprint and just making them run them down and uh, practice this over and over again because it's definitely a catch he needs to make. But it goes as a double for Jeffers. So that's the only one that's not like in this like real nice plane, this real nice launch angle plane. So, yeah, Logan Allen did get hit pretty hard uh, in this one, but he manages to work with it. Um, he uh, he attacked the zone like we expect from him to do. Uh, you know, he's only facing one other lefty in this one, so everything else is uh, right-handed batters. And last time against uh, the Red Sox, he threw a ton of sweepers. In fact, that was his number one pitch on the day. He threw 45 sweepers, and they were effective. 33% whiff rate, 9 whiffs on 27 swings. 6 called strikes, it's good for a 33% CSW on that sweeper. That was against the Red Sox his last time out. This time, doesn't go to it. Only throws 4 sweepers on this one. So he's really just attacking the zone with fastballs, forcing fastballs mostly, a few cutters. And then the changeup, he was trying to throw the changeup a ton to these right-handed hitters. He just wasn't locating it a ton. So they did get to sit fastball a lot. Um, yeah, there's only three changeups actually in the strike zone here. So a pitch they they could lay off. Now going over to his player breakdown, he you know oh, the CSW isn't terrible on that pitch, when they actually swung in the changeup, they swung only five times. So like I said, they didn't have to swing very often. On 22 changeups, they only had to swing five times, but they whiffed four times, so at least he got that. Uh, It's an 80% whiff rate on that pitch, but only a 23% CSW on the pitch, because again, wasn't really challenging them with it. In fact, the one that was touched was fouled off. They didn't even put a changeup in play, because they could lay off it. Uh, now the whiff rate isn't really there on the forcing fastball on 31 swings. They only whiff three times. They follow off 11 and put 17 in play for an, an average exit velocity of 93.1. So yeah, they, they could sit fastball a little bit on them. I guess that's probably something that Allen's going to have to work on is maybe throwing that change up for a strike a little bit more to keep him honest off his fastball. If he's facing that many right-handed hitters also, Continue to you could continue to work the sweeper in there. A few back foot sweepers or something like that uh, couldn't hurt to work a few more in when it's such an effective pitch for you. Uh, the one thing I want to talk about with Logan Allen is against Max Kepler because it's interesting. Uh, he throws him a lot of fastballs away, and eventually it comes back to cost him. So in the second inning, he's facing Kepler. Uh, it's just fast. Uh, starts him. He does start him off with a sweeper. The one lefty he's facing starts him off with a sweeper. Uh, by the way, Boston had a ton of lefties in their lineup, and that's why he threw a ton of sweepers against them. 
So he misses with the sweeper way down and away. Comes back with a four-seam fastball on the outside edge for a called strike. Misses away with a fastball, clearly working away from Max Kepler. Comes back with a four-seam fastball down the middle. I mean, a little bit up, but middle of the plate. And he lines out to left field at 99.2 miles per hour. Okay, so he gets a hard hit ball off him that he gets away with. Now, the next time Kepler comes up, it's three straight fastballs, kind of middle of the plate. The first one is middle away for a called strike. The next one is a four-seam fastball middle-middle that he follows off. The next one is a four-seam fastball slightly more away, but still, I would say, middle-middle quadrant. This time, he flies out to left field. He's a, I, he's a little bit behind it. Flies out to left field to Quan. Uh, this one isn't, you know, has an expected batting average of .060. So an easy fly out to Quan in left field. However, three fastballs in a row, two of them middle middle. The next time Kepler's up again with a runner on base. Again, first pitch, four seam fastball. This is middle up, and he jumps on it. 104.8 mile per hour exit velocity, 393 out to right center field, uh, an 820 expected batting average. He jumps on it. And yeah, you can see the pattern here. You you can see how Kepler jumps on it. Would have been a home run in 25 out of 30 parks. He had seen a lot of fastballs. He had seen a lot of fastballs middle, middle from him. So he was sitting, clearly sitting fastball, and absolutely, his first pitch jumped on him first pitch. So, uh, again, something that Allen is going to reflect, hopefully reflect on. It'd be like, okay, clearly I have got to uh, mix up what I'm throwing to these lefties. Maybe challenge them inside a little bit. But sitting middle-middle against those lefties, uh, he, he was eventually going to pay for that. And uh, he had gotten away with a hard-hit ball in that first inning. Like, what was the expected batting average on that first lineout in the second inning here? Uh, only a 340 expected batting average, but you know, still it's not the 0. .060 of the lazy fly ball he hit later in the game. Uh, but yeah, he eventually pays for that zone against Kepler. So that's something that was building all game and eventually came to fruition because that's what Kepler does. He hits home runs apparently at progressive field. He's just him and, uh, Miguel Cabrera, man. Uh, those guys light up progressive field. But the Guardians offense, despite that, so that two-home run, home run, uh, it did get Minnesota back in the game. But Cleveland had jumped out to a 3-0 lead. We put up a nice crooked number from a nice rally in the fourth inning. Ahmed Rosario actually gets it started. Not with a hit. No, 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 not with a hit. Ahmed Rosario is still hitting uh, 214 on the season, but does draw a walk to kick things off. Jose Ramirez... Uh, gets a single through the right side, a ball that can't be fielded very well, uh, and he gets on. Uh, Naylor would hit a single uh, that would drive in Ahmed Rosario. The other storyline in this game that uh, we're not going to talk about in detail is uh, Miranda over at third base uh, for the uh, for the Minnesota Twins. Jose Miranda did not have his best day. He booted a few balls. He couldn't feel balls cleanly that went as base hits, including this one, to uh, to uh, Josh Naylor. Uh, it's because of the way they shifted. He was almost in a shortstop position. And, man, he really struggled from that shortstop position against these left-handed hitters. Uh, so 
He, he does this weird thing where he kind of falls and rolls and loses the ball from Josh Naylor. Ahmed Rosario comes in to score. And then Jose Ramirez does what he does. He is ultra, ultra aggressive on the base pass. Remember the other day we talked about, I think it was Miles Straw, right? On the pickoff play to Miles Straw. They try to pick him off at first. The ball gets away, but it ricochets back. Then they throw the ball past Correa, trying to cover second base. Straw makes it in with a head first slide. He pops up like he wants to go to third, but they rotated properly. Right? The third baseman goes to recover the ball. The pitcher goes to cover third base. They rotated properly. That's that's good textbook defense right there. They don't do it in this one with Jose Ramirez because the third baseman is the one fielding the ball. The shortstop's behind him, so he has no ability to help in this situation. It's all on the pitcher then to cover uh, third base, and nobody reacts fast enough. Jose Ramirez does. When he sees that ball on the ground, when he sees Jose Miranda on the ground, he gets up and he goes. Now the whole thing, now he... He does. They get the ball back to Miranda. Miranda swipes at him. He kind of moves those hips. Jose kind of leans those hips away from the tag and is able to take a nice wide slide into third base and get the hand in there. And he beats everybody to the back. So he wins the foot race. It's a risk. It's an absolute risk. But again, Jose Ramirez has the green light to do whatever he wants to do on the base paths. If he thinks he has an opening, again, no hesitation. As soon as he saw that ball on the ground and Miranda on the ground, he went for it, no hesitation, and uh, this time it works. He gets into third base. The thing about running out of the base paths is, we talked about this, this came up last year, the base path is not necessarily from one base to another base. Right, because runners, when you round a base, you go wide around the base. It's just natural. You can't make a 90-degree turn, right? You make a big looping turn, especially coming around second base. So the base path is technically the path that the runner is on. Like, do they deviate from the path that they're on? And that's a judgment call there from the umpire. That little hip, that little step out with his right foot, that little turn of the hips. Does that constitute going out of the base path? The umpire clearly said no. Uh, so uh, it gets their manager run from the game. He has to go out there and argue it. Uh, and he's fun, Man, he's funny. He's funny because he gets tossed, but then he seems to have like a really clear conversation. He's like, look, I, I understand you threw me out of the game, but I just I want you to understand the point I'm making. I want you to make a better decision next time. It was a very calm ejection. I don't know, crack me up a little bit. Uh, so we got runners on first and third now, and then Josh Bell does come up with the big hit in this inning, a nice line drive opposite field single that brings in Jose Ramirez. Uh, we got runners on first and second now, nobody out. Andres Jimenez lines out. It makes decent contact, but lines out. Uh, Gabriel Arias then draws a walk to reload the bases. Zanino would strike out another tough day for Zanino at the plate. Uh, 0 for 3 with two strikeouts in this one. The strikeouts are racking up. The power is not. This was a moment for Zanino here to show some of that power. And he doesn't come through with the bases loaded. Luckily, Straw does because he works a walk, a third walk in the inning. All three walks that uh, Sonny Gray gives up are in this fourth inning, and it costs him another run. And then Quan would ground out to end the threat. So a fun rally here in the fourth inning. Again, the, the big... Bases clearing hit just wasn't there yet. I mean, three runs is definitely something to high five about, but a bases clearing double would have been, I mean, that would have really had progressive field rocking. 
Uh, so it's it's a great rally, a three-run rally in an inning. I love it, sure. Totally Guardians way of doing it with all those walks and base running in there. But, ah, man, we'd still love that big monster hit to kind of blow things open. So, uh, yeah, the Twins do climb back, but then again, Quan, we talked about it with the beautiful, beautiful clutch solo home run. So this is what I want to talk about because Quan said after the game, again, in Manny Bell's article, we're gonna we're not gonna focus on home runs. Francona said, the, "I'm not telling these guys they need to start hitting home runs. That's not our style. If we play our game and we have the at bats we want to have, home runs will come. They'll come naturally. We're not gonna make an effort for it like the Minnesota Twins seem to do. And you see, I mean, the difference here, right? Like the Twins are able to climb back into a game very quickly on home runs, on two home runs. It happens in a flash, and they're back in the game." And it takes a solo home run to beat them in this one. There is something nice about hitting home runs. But I understand the hitting approach from the Guardians. Where if you try if you try to hit home runs, you're just going to mess yourself up. You're just going to mess up your swing. Right? It's better to have a good swing approach. A good plan at the plate. And let those home runs come naturally. From things like what happened with Straw here. Or with uh, Quan here. Where he's... You know, a sitting fastball, attacking fastball, and he gets something that speeds up his bat, and he launches it. So, the Guardians will continue their way of playing baseball. The Twins will continue theirs, and we'll see at the end of the season who comes out on top of this thing. Because it's it seems like for now, it's the Guardians and the Twins battling in the American League Central. All right, that's all my thoughts on this one. A big long episode here. Uh, frankly, it's it's really early in the morning. Uh, the baby woke me up, and sometimes you just you, you wake up at 5 in the morning, and you're just ready to go. So I figured I'd sit down. I'd talk some baseball with you. So thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Again, the final from Progressive Field. It's your Guardians for the Minnesota Twins 3. We've got some day baseball today, a 140 start. As, again, another pitcher that's got a pretty you know pretty nice record in April. Ryan comes in at 5-0 and with a 237 ERA. So maybe not the clean ERA that Sonny Gray came in with, but the nice clean record for sure. Uh, he's going up against Quantrill, who get ready for four seamers and cutters, fastballs and cutters. Or not, not four seamers, is it sinkers and cutters? Is that what Quantrill throws? Uh, but he's he's got his work. We need to see this combination actually be successful because uh, I have my doubts about it. So we'll see what he's able to do against this hard-hitting Minnesota Twins team. All right. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at ClevelandBaseballMornings at gmail.com, just like Greg did. Let me know your thoughts on the game. Let me know your experiences going to the game. I'd love to hear that. We'll discuss it on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Spotify. Go to the link in the show notes. You can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.